Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Welcome, Lake Point family. And if you got your Bibles, head over to Matthew 24 and then put your finger in Daniel chapter 7 because this is the very last week of our Thriving in Babylon series. This is the last one, and we are ending this series in the same place that the book of Daniel is ending. And we are doing that by talking about end times, the second coming of Christ, and fulfillment of prophecy. Are you excited? Okay, all right, couple. We're very, uh, we're very mixed uh, response on that. Now, actually, that's what I anticipated. Here's what I know, is that as soon as I talk about that, even though all we're doing is just teaching the passage that we are coming to in the book of Daniel, um, what I know is that everybody has a different response when it comes to talking about things like uh, end time, second coming of Christ, fulfillment of prophecy. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Um, how many people at all of our campuses, let me get this camera right here. How many people at all of our, cam- this one right here, this one right, this one in the middle, that one, that's gonna be great, there you go. How many people at all of our campuses, you like me, you come from a primarily Baptist background in your church background, okay? All right, for all of us, later we will have a, a, a potluck dinner and an angry business meeting for therapy. Well, that's great. Okay, now, how many people come from a, a Methodist or a Episcopal background. Anybody? Okay, that's awesome. Great, great, that's awesome. Okay, uh, how many people uh, come from a charismatic or Pentecostal background? Raise two hands. Raise two, that's, that's it, all right, cool. You guys are the fun ones, I, I like you. And then uh, how many people come from a, a Presbyterian background? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding, Presbyterians don't raise their hands in church. I shouldn't have done, I don't know why I did that. That's great. Uh, how many people come from a Catholic background? Anybody? Awesome. That's awesome, okay. Uh, I heard somebody on, uh, on the Lake Point Church online feed, they referred to Lake Point as presbapticostal. And what that means is that we are predestined uh, to speak in tongues at a potluck dinner later. That's what that means. And uh, now, uh, how many, I do wanna do this. Um, how many people you'd say, man, actually, none of those are me. I actually don't have much of a church ba- background at all. I'm just a good old-fashioned sinner. How many of you? That's it. You guys are my favorites. Okay. Now, uh, let me explain why I do that. When we talk about things like end times, the return of Christ, fulfillment of prophecy, Um, depending on the background you come from, you already probably right now have very different emotional reactions. Some of you who you may come from, uh, some of the backgrounds I mentioned, this is something that just like, it's always like, ah, we never talk about it and just kind of avoid it and feel weird when somebody does talk about it. And if that's you, I just wanna point something out from the Bible 25% of the Bible is prophecy, and for every one mention of the first coming of Christ there is in the Bible, there are eight mentions of his second coming. So God wants us to think and talk about this. Now, on the other hand, there are some teachings about the second coming of Christ and some responses to teachings 
of the second coming of Christ that, uh, that I absolutely hate. I don't like them. And, and let me explain this. What I mean is some people, anytime this is taught, they become consumed with it, absolutely consumed with it, and they stop witnessing and serving and giving. They become so consumed with like, okay, when's this gonna happen? When's that thing gonna happen? They only read the book of Revelation. They're memorizing passages from left behind. They're like, they're, every day they wake up and they've got like, you know, uh, 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 their Bible in one hand, book of Revelation. They're studying like geopolitical events on the other hand. They've got charts and they would love to tell you which beast from the book of Revelation Vladimir Putin is and how COVID-19 is, you know, is one of the bowls of God's wrath and the vaccine you know, is the mark of the beast and all this stuff. They would love to tell you that stuff. Now, what I don't, and, and, and listen, uh, what I don't like about this is these people, I think that is a strategy inspired by Satan to keep us from doing what Jesus told us to do until he returns. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about, okay? I just want to read this to you from Matthew 24, okay? If you've got your Bibles, pick up with me in Matthew 24, verse 3. It says this. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, now remember that, his disciples came to him privately, and they said, tell us, when will this happen? In other words, show us your chart, Jesus. Show, show us all the, when, when's it going to, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Let, let me translate that. Make sure you don't get sidetracked. Make sure you don't get sidetracked. For many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. Some of your Bibles say famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are just the beginnings of the birth pains. In other words, those aren't the signs. That's, that's, not, that's not what comes right before the end. Verse nine, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people, and because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will, will grow cold. But the one who stands firm, the end will be saved. Now, watch verse 14, because he says, and this thing, verse 14, this, what I'm getting ready to say, this is the sign of the end of the age. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, here's why I say that. Uh, I just want you to think about this. Guys, every generation that has ever come has seen most of those signs. Every generation that's almost ever existed, they've seen wars and rumors of wars, persecution, famine, pestilences, false prophets. They've seen all those things. And Jesus says, hey, uh, but none of those things, none of those are the end. Jesus says, let me tell you when the end is gonna come. And he says, when this gospel is preached in the whole world, that's the sign of the end. Now listen, here's why I say that. What bothers me a lot sometimes about like second coming preaching is that some people, it gets us sidetracked. And we get so busy studying this and studying that that we forget about the main thing. And Lake Point Church, here's the main thing. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations and then the end will come. 
So that's the thing that we're supposed to be about doing until he returns, okay? Now, that being said, I do wanna talk from Daniel's, Daniel 7 and 8, I do wanna talk about what God says the end is gonna look like, okay? Now, here's what I'm doing. You guys you really track what you're gonna have to buckle up. What's happening in the last five chapters of the book of Daniel is this is a flashback. So we're going backwards 20 years in Daniel's life to the time when he was in his mid-60s, kind of like at the height of his political career when he was in Babylon. Up until this point, think about this. Up until this point, kings have been the ones receiving the visions and Daniel's been the interpreter. Now, Daniel is the one receiving the vision and the angel Gabriel is the interpreter. Now, here's what I'm gonna do in the next couple minutes. I'm gonna walk you through what God does is he gives Daniel a vision, watch this, of everything that's gonna happen from the time that Daniel was in Babylon until the end of the world and the return of Christ. And he covers all that in one vision. So am I. Okay, so am I. So what you gotta do, everybody do this. We put your hands out like this? Do it, do it, just do it for me. Buckle up. Will you do that? Just buckle up, okay? Okay, here we go. I gotta go really fast. So here's what happens in Daniel chapter seven. Daniel is given a vision of four beasts. These four beasts represent four nations. I'm gonna read it here in a second. Now, some of you may hear that and you may go, man, it's really weird for God to give a vision where beasts represent nations. Guys, this should not be foreign to us. What the mascot for the United States of America is an eagle. Okay, every election cycle, and I don't wanna hear anything snarky at any of our campuses, okay? Every election cycle, the Democratic Party is represented by a donkey, and the Republican Party is represented by an elephant. That's right, everybody knew the second one and not the first one. Let's just keep going. Uh, that's, so wait, we're used to this, okay? We're, we're used to this. So a, a vision of four animals is given. Now watch this. Here are the four animals, and I'm gonna just highlight the first two and then start reading in the third one because... The third one is when it gets into prophecy that happened after the time of Daniel and leading up until the time of Christ. So the first animal was a lion with wings. Its wings are torn off. He gives, he's given a vision of it being lifted up and the mind of a human being given to it. This winged lion in Daniel 7, it represents the Babylonian empire in which Daniel found himself. Its wings were plucked off because in Daniel chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar goes insane at the judgment of God and then the wings, it, uh, it is lifted back up because later Nebuchadnezzar is restored and is given his mind back. The second vision that Daniel's given is a vision of a bear that is, quote, raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth. Now watch this. The bear represents the Medo-Persian empire that conquered Babylon. That's why it has three ribs in its mouth. In this vision, one side is lifted up and bigger than the other because Persia was bigger than the Medes and it eventually becomes just the Persian empire. That's the second one. Now, I'm gonna start reading in Daniel 7, 8, because now we get into prophecy that happened before Daniel. So pick up with me in verse six, verse six I mean. After that I looked, and there was before me another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. Now, this beast represents, we now know, Greece under Alexander the Great. It's a leopard with wings representing speed, and here's why. Alexander the Great conquered the entire world, think about this, from Egypt to India in 10 years. It was the most lightning fast military the world had ever seen, and four wings and four heads are mentioned because it was a prophecy that Greece would be divided in four ways. 
And guys, that is exactly what happened. After Alexander the Great, there was a power struggle between four generals, and the kingdom was divided between those four generals. By the way, I just want to point this out. Daniel wrote all this 200 years before any of it happened. Now pick up with me in verse 7. After that, in in, uh, my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. And it was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Now, this beast represents Rome, who conquered the Greeks. It has iron teeth because of its incredible strength and technological sophistication, and it has ten horns. Now, this may sound weird to you. You may be like, man, why is the Bible always talking about like horns in, in prophecy passages? All throughout the Bible, horns represent power. This is intuitive to us. Actually, just kind of help me out again. How many people at all of our campuses, you have an animal living inside of your house that's a pet? How many people? All of our campuses. That's a lot of people, okay? Now, how many of you have an animal living inside of your house that has horns? Now, probably somebody at the Forney campus just raised their hand and they asked kind of thing. I love you, Forney. I love you, Forney. Now, I just want to point that out. The reason for that is we know that the horns, it gives you power, power to destroy, power to conquer. And this is what it represents. Now, verse eight, you'll see this. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being. In other words, it looks human, but there's something subhuman or superhuman behind it and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Now, by the way, this is, all, every Bible scholar agrees, this is the first prophecy in the Bible mentioning the Antichrist. Now, pick up with me. We're gonna skip forward to Daniel 8, 22, and this vision continues, and here's what Daniel sees. It says, four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. Talking about this antichrist. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce looking king, a master of intrigue will arise. Again, this is the the figure the New Testament calls the antichrist. He will become very powerful, but not by his own power. In other words, there will be a supernatural power and not a good one that elevates and empowers this person. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. So he will be empowered, watch this is important for later, to destroy the people of God. He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes, yet he will be destroyed, but not by one, but not by human power. Now, this refers to out of those four generals from ancient Greece, there was one guy that rose to power that was especially ruthless. Again, just track with me on the history lesson here. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes, and he rose to power in 170 BC. Uh, This guy was known uh, as the Hitler of the Old Testament. Antiochus Epiphanes murdered 80,000 Jews in one day upon entering Jerusalem, and he issued coins in Israel with his image on one side, and on the other side an inscription that read, King Antiochus, God in the flesh. After he conquered Israel, he set up his own statue inside of the Holy of Holies in the temple and made Jews worship him and forced them to, listen to this, to eat swine flesh in the temple. Now, utter blasphemy. Now, out of nowhere, Antiochus Bibnes, he developed a stomach virus, went insane, and then he died. 
So watch this. He died not by human hands, but by God's hands, exactly as Daniel chapter eight had prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. Now, here's what's really interesting. These prophecies in Daniel seven and eight, every Bible scholar agrees that they refer initially to this guy Antiochus Epiphanes. But what's interesting is that Jesus, John, and Paul all reference Daniel eight as pointing to something in the future, the rise of someone in the future that the New Testament calls the Antichrist. And now is when we move into the category of things that are yet to come. Now I wanna give you one example of this. You'll see this in 1 John two eighteen. track with me for all my Bible scholars. It just says this. It says, dear children, this, he said this right now, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, it says, even now, many Antichrists have come, and this is how we know that it is the last hour. Now, really quick, okay? Some of you may hear that, and you may go, no, no wait a second, Josh. I thought you said those prophecies referred to Antiochus Epiphanes. That was 170 A.D., but the New Testament says, talks about future Antichrist and Antichrist. How's that working? Okay, well... For those of you guys who have been around for the last six weeks, do you remember that throughout this series, we've talked about how even though the civilization of Babylon was conquered in the Old Testament, the New Testament refers to Babylon and the spirit of Babylon. Do you remember this? Now, now watch this. The Bible is acknowledging the fact, it's acknowledging the fact that even though the civilization of Babylon is dead, the spirit that was at work behind the civilization is still alive. Now watch this. Antiochus Epiphanes is dead, but the Bible is saying that an evil demonic spirit that was at work behind him is very much still alive. Now, if that doesn't, I know this may sound really weird. Just kind of track with me, and I'm gonna get to why this is all, I'm gonna get to the good news and the application really quick, but just track with me. I need you to understand the reality of spiritual warfare and this, this constant theme that behind nations and peoples, there are spirits, principalities, and powers at work. So even though he's dead, the spirit behind him is still at work. Can I just point something out to you? Do you guys remember in Daniel chapter three, whenever there was the, the, uh, the golden statue, everybody's called to, to bow down, and the Jews wouldn't bow down? And then, do you remember how the leader of the nation responded? You remember what he said? He essentially went, man, you know, you know the, really, the real problem with our nation is these Jews. These Jewish people are the problem with our nation. And here's what I'm gonna do to get rid of them. I'm gonna throw them in a chamber to kill them. Now, does that sound familiar to you? The, pr the problem is the Jews, and I'm gonna throw them in a chamber to kill them. Now, fast forward to 170 AD, Antiochus Epiphanes marches into Israel, and for some reason, what he is very passionate to do is to kill the Jews. Now, fast forward all the way to World War II, and you've got somebody like Hitler that rises to power, and for some reason, he's looking out at what he is very passionate to do is to kill the Jews. And then right now, this has been true for, for hundreds and hundreds of years in the world, right now there are you know, an enormous number of people in the Middle East that want to, they're very passionate to conquer Israel and kill the Jews. Now let me just ask you this question. Why do the same things keep happening? Because the same spirits are still working. 
This is what the Bible's showing us. Now, what the Bible's saying is it points forward. It says, yes, all throughout the ages that there might be different people that are, that are raised up to lead people away from Christ and destroy the people of God. But eventually there will be like one final antichrist that rises to power and is given incredible political uh, you know, influence in the entire world. And then God gives Daniel a vision of the very end, what we now call the blessed hope of the Christian. And he gives him a vision of the very end of all things in Daniel 7. Pick up with me in verse 9. And if this doesn't pull worship out of your heart, nothing will. Daniel says, as I looked, thrones were set in place. And the ancient of days took his seat. We know that guy. He's a good guy. And his clothing was white as snow. In other words, he's pure. He's full of righteousness. And his hair, uh, the hair of his head was white like wool. He has the wisdom of the ages. His throne was flaming with fire, incredible power. And its wheels were all ablaze. So he's riding like a blazing Segway, okay? Now verse 10, a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Now really quick, in Hebrew, which is the language this is written in, 10,000 is the highest number in the entire language of Hebrew. So in Hebrew, if somebody says 10,000 times 10,000, that's the way in Hebrew to say infinity, so it's saying a great number that no one can count stands before this king. Now the court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. In my vision and I looked and there before me was, here we go, was one like a son of man. In other words, he looks like a human but this one is an appearing of God himself. Now we know who that is, that's Jesus. In fact, this passage in Daniel chapter seven, it was Jesus' favorite nickname for himself. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus refers to himself as the son of man? When he does that, He's he is quoting Daniel chapter seven. I, I love this so much. Do you remember when Jesus is standing on trial before the Pharisees and they're getting ready to crucify him? And they say, just tell us, Jesus, just tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that was prophesied? And Jesus looks right at him and he goes, I'm one like a son of man. And he's quoting Daniel chapter seven. And when he says that, watch what the prophecy he's referring to says. I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given all authority, glory, and sovereign power. Every nation and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed, and all God's people said amen. Now, I love that. So Daniel gets this vision of everything that will happen from Daniel all the way to the end of the world. Now, I just kind of walked through it as fast as I could. Now, can I just point something out? What people tend to do with passages like this is they start fighting about specifics and they miss the main thing. They miss the main thing. People, have you ever heard conversations like this? So when I was in seminary, everyone loved to sit around and fight about their, it's called eschatology. Eschatos refers to end, ology is study of, so eschatology is study of the end. So everybody sit around in a seminary cafeteria and fight about their, their eschatological views. Oh, are, are you pre-trib? Are you a pre-trib guy? 
You, you think Jesus is going to rapture the church you know, before the tribulation? Or are you a post-trib person? Do you think Jesus is going to rapture the church after the tribulation? Or some people would say, I'm a pan-trib person. I'm just going to stick around and see how it all pans out. That's what I'm going to do. You know? well, what are, are you pre? Are you post? Are you mid? So, so let me just do this. And the dates. People fight about all this. And the dates. Just think about this. Within my lifetime, this book was published. Within my, 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. That's within my, now here's what's really interesting. This guy that wrote this book, when that didn't happen in 1988, he just revised it and re-released it as 89 reasons that Christ will return in 1989. And then you skip forward, the same guy made two predictions that Jesus would return in May of 2011, and then it didn't happen, and he said, oh, I was wrong, October of 2011. So here's my personal opinion, is that even if the guy gets it right, Jesus is going to change it. <laughs> He's going to be like, no, no, no. Yeah, no, no I, if he got it right, I'm going to switch it, because the Bible says that no one no one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return, only the Father in heaven. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you my views on the end times. Here are my views. And I, you know, I've, I've, I've been at Lake Point now two and a half years, and so I'm gonna give you not just my views, but to, as of today, these are becoming the official views of Lake Point Church, our view of the end times. And here it is, are you ready for it? It's three words, Jesus is coming. That's it. Jesus is coming. That's what we know. We don't want to fight about all this stuff and miss the main thing. Here's the main thing. Jesus is coming, guys. Now, I want to ask this question. Why? If he's going to return, I'm going to tell you a few things about this here in a second. If Jesus is going to return, why did he choose to give Daniel this vision right in the middle of his time in Babylon when Daniel was called to be salt and light and not just survive but thrive, not just endure it but influence the kingdom of Babylon. Why did he do this, okay? Um, here's my analogy. Uh, I've, I've mentioned before that Jana and I, um, we personally think that like the greatest show that's ever existed is uh, the TV show 24 with Jack Bauer. That's like our show. And so that's our, our favorite one. I like to work it into sermons as often as I possibly can. And uh, so here was our deal. Um, every now and then I'll meet somebody who is watching, uh, who's watching 24 now. And every time I, I, I meet somebody like that, I'm like, bro, where were you from like 2000 to 2010? Like you've totally missed this. And, and so not too long ago, I ran across somebody who was watching through uh, 24. And I just asked him, I was like, hey man, um, so what season are you on? And he was like, oh, uh, I think I'm on like season three. And I just blurted it out. I was like, oh, has Jack died yet? Okay. Now, some of you right now, you're like, Josh, spoiler alert. Your fault, this show came out in 2001. That's your fault, okay? And so here's the story is that Jan and I, when we first got married, we just wanted some show. We had no kids. I was a youth pastor. So we just wanted some show to watch. So this was like, pre-Netflix, we weren't, uh, you know, that advanced. So this is what we had to do, this is gonna date me a little bit, is this is when Blockbuster, and I just, again, lost half of you right there, Blockbuster, they had a DVD mailing subscription deal because they were like trying to keep up with Netflix, and we were members, so what you could do is you could order DVDs to get delivered to your house. I feel this is amazing just explaining this right now. To get delivered to your house. And then they would get there. And as soon as you finished watching them, you could drive to a physical blockbuster location, turn in those DVDs, and then trade them for something else. 
So Jan and I, you know, I'm a youth pastor. Where every night we would get home, I get home from work, and we would just binge watch 24 from like 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. You know, just working our way through. So we get through season one, and it's awesome. We get through season two. We get to season three. And there's this moment in season three, and again, if you've never seen it, I'm really sorry. I just got to do the illustration. We, there's this moment in season three where I look at Jana, and I'm like, Jana, I think Jack just died, Jack Bauer. And she's like, well, me too. It looks like Jack just died. So we finish those episodes. The next day, we've got to drive to Blockbuster, turn in those two DVDs, and walk over to the little you know, aisle, grab the next ones, and go on. Well, they had seasons one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven right there. So when I'm getting ready to grab the DVDs from the second half of season three, I see the box for season four, and Jack's face is on the box. And then I look next to it for season five, and I'm like, whoa, Jack's face is on that box too. And I yelled to Jana at the front of the store, Jana, Jack's face is on the box of season four. I think something sinister is afoot. And this is what we have now. Listen, here's what happened is that because we were in that moment, it looked in that moment as if Jack was dead. But in that moment, what we realized is that it looked at that moment like the bad guys were in charge. But the bad guys weren't the ones writing the script. Somebody else was writing the script, and they put Jack's face on the box of future seasons. And so even though at that moment it looked like the bad guys were in charge, we knew that somebody else was actually in charge and that Jack was, Jack's face was on the, the box of the future season. Now, that person knows where I'm going with this right now. They know where I'm going. Now listen, the reason Jesus gives Daniel this vision of the end of the one like a son of man returning on the clouds, that all power and glory, dominion and nations will be given to him. The reason he gave you that vision, not just in Daniel 7, but in Revelation 21, the reason is this, is he's saying, hey, listen, right now, he's saying, it may look right now like bad guys are in charge. It may look like something terrible is happening, but he's giving you this vision to go, hey, but my face is still on the box at the end of this story. And so right now, they're not the ones in charge. They're not the ones writing the script. I'm writing the script, so they don't get the final word. I do, I do. Now watch this, he's saying to Daniel right now in Daniel seven and eight, he was looking down at a scared Daniel that was standing before kings and emperors, standing before lion's dens and before fiery furnaces. And he's looking at Daniel and Daniel in that moment was probably thinking, man, God, are you still in charge? Are you gonna make it? What's gonna happen? Are we gonna be safe? Do the bad guys win? Does history close at a dark note? And he gives Daniel this vision because he's saying, hey Daniel, you might not understand what's happening right now, but let me show you the end of the story and that's gonna give you hope right now in the present. And God is saying that to you right now when he gives you a vision of the end in Daniel 7 and the book of Revelation. Right now, you may look out at the world and it may look like the wrong political leaders and ideologies and institutions are in power. It may look at moments in history like Babylon is writing the script of history. You may personally walk through pain and death, addiction, depression, and sin. And I promise there will be moments in your life when it's gonna look like those things are gonna get the final word in your life. But watch this. You've seen the final season and you know whose face is on the box. One like a son of man. He's the one. That's right, you go, man. Listen, I'm preaching 50% better than we're responding. Let's go, let's give him praise. 
one like a son of man, his face is on the end of the box. So we know that he's the one that gets the final word. And that means that he will return and he will wipe away every tear from every eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and the new things are to come. In the words of one of my favorite theologians, D.A. Carson, you're not suffering from anything that a good resurrection cannot fix. And he, he, he is going to do that for you. There's a reason that this is called the blessed hope of the Christian. And I'll be really honest with you. I think that yes, there are some people who they obsess about this and they get the charts out and they get distracted from what God's calling them to do. Can I be really honest? In a church like ours, I think we think about this way too little. Way too little. You know, I love when Jan and I visited um, Rome, this is not my notes, it's just spirit brought this to my mind right now. When Jan and I visited Rome and we saw all these places where the early Christians had their gatherings, did you, did you know the early Christians, they had a greeting for one another? They would greet one another and yet they'd, they'd bring each other, yeah, they might go, hey bro, and I don't know, that's probably not what they said, but they'd grab each other and pull each other in for the hug. But then early Christians, do you know what they said? Their greeting was, Maranatha, Maranatha. That was like how they said hi when they found another Christian. Maranatha, do you know what that means? The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Maranatha, and that's the blessed hope of every Christian. So can I do this? Can I just end this sermon by showing you what's on the cover of the last season? Let me do it, okay? What I wanna do, I wanna finish this message. 10 facts about the second coming of Jesus. 10 facts about the second coming of Jesus. Now I'm gonna go quick and you gotta track with me, okay? Now, actually I'll say that in just a second. Number one, fact number one, Jesus himself will come again. Now, <clears throat> all right. <laughs> Now, for those of you who are confused, let me just do this. Sometimes at Lake Point Church, we can just be a, a little too dignified. So here's what I want you to do. You're gonna say amen on these moments where we are remembering that Jesus is coming again. So let me do it again. Fact number one, Jesus himself will come again. First Thessalonians 4, 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an arch archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. He will come himself. Fact number two, we will meet him in the air. First Thessalonians 4, 17, after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Fact number three, all who are in the grave will hear his voice. There it is. John 5, 28, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. That's great news if you've lost somebody you loved. Fact number four, he will return when we are least expecting it. He will return when we are least expecting it. Matthew 24, 40 through 42, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. We live every day like it could be that day. Fact number five, he will return to the Mount of Olives. Okay, now that's, you're like, ah, do I amen that? Just track with me, okay? Zechariah 14, four. 
on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. By the way, this is why, you may not know this, every American cemetery you have ever visited, every grave in the cemetery is, uh, is put in the ground where that body is laid, where its eyes are facing east. The reason for that is Christians are the ones who built the first cemeteries in America and they built them so that their dead brothers and sisters would be facing the direction where they would rise and see Jesus because the Mount of Olives is east of us. That's, that's great, that's awesome, okay? Fact number six, he will destroy the Antichrist. Now you can do that, you can do that. Second Thessalonians 2, 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth. Doesn't even have to lift a finger, the breath of his mouth, and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Fact number seven, he will gather all nations and judge them. Matthew 25, 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Fact number eight, he will then recreate the earth. Revelation, you know, you don't have to do it if your heart's not in it, but you know, let's just track with me. Revelation 21, five, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I love this verse so much. I am making all things new. I love it so much. I am making all things new. You're gonna get back. I'm not gonna, you, you know, uh, yeah. I was, so I just wanna point this out. The Bible does not teach that God is just gonna disappear the entire earth and we will all become floating spirits and go up to an ethereal heaven. He says, he does not say I'm making, he says I'm making all things new. He does not say I'm making all new things. He's gonna take this earth and he's gonna make it awesome, wipe away every, every bit of residue of sin, pain, death, sadness, fear, loss, all of that, and he'll make this what it was originally intended to be forever. That's right. And when he does that, fact number nine, every knee shall bow. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's it. And then, fact number 10, and I'm gonna say this and you won't understand why it's cool, but I'm gonna explain it. Fact number 10, last one, he will eat and drink with us again. Amen. Which leads me to the entire reason that at all of our campuses, you were given these communion cups on your way in. At all of our campuses right now, would you stand with me right now as I explain this last fact to you about the return of Christ? So um, if you're anything like me, I grew up in churches where communion was like a bad news reminder. <laughs> It was like, you know, you were supposed to stop and, you know, make sure you don't take, the, take it in an unworthy manner. So make sure you're thinking about all your sin and everything you've done wrong in the last week, that kind of thing. Can I just be really honest? Like, the way that Jesus did communion is supposed to feel a lot more like a party. Now, um, you remember how Jesus said, he said, uh, every time you eat and drink uh, the cup and the bread, he said, do it and, and remember me. You remember that? Um, at my church uh, in Nashville, there was a recovering alcoholic that sat on the front left part of the auditorium every week. And every time, every time we did communion, he would just stand in the front while no worship music was going on, just while I was reading the Bible. And he would just lift his hands 
and worship his God, become over, overwhelmed with emotion. And I, I asked him one time, I'm gonna call him Sam. I was like, Sam, like, why do you get so emotional when we do communion? And he said, I used to drink to forget and now I drink to remember. <laughs> now, when Jesus at the last supper, he took all his disciples around a table and go ahead and peel that thing off and get the bread, all of our campuses. And uh, the Bible says that he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And as often as you eat it, remember me. Remember, I was broken not just for you, but instead of you. Remember that. And so today, right now, we who are in Christ, we take and we eat. And Lord, we remember. But then second, and this is why I, I did this at the end of this message. Take the cup, and if you just, just peel that guy off. A lot of people forget this, that at the Last Supper, the second thing Jesus did is he took a cup, and a lot of you are former Baptists of grape juice. And he, he took it and he, you remember what he did? Jesus, he looked out at all of his friends, and he said that to them. He said, man, you're not my servants. I call you friends. And he looked out and he said, um, a lot of us forget this. He said, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine until I come back and I drink it with you in my new kingdom. And so there is coming a day when the Lord will return and he will gather all of us back to himself. He'll wipe away every tear from every eye. And then the book of Revelation says that it'll be like a, like a big party after a wedding where the bride gets returned to the groom and we're all there and it's a big party. And then for the first time in thousands of years, Jesus will take this cup and he will drink it. And he right now, like right now, he is waiting eagerly for that day. And so today, as we take and we drink, we don't just look back at blood that was spilled for us, we look forward to the fact that he is coming again. And so we take and we drink and we remember and we praise him. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.